Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Adam from Toronto, and I support Creative Control because Vish is full stop one of the best arts interviewers in Canada, or anywhere in the world, really. He approaches every episode like he's known the artist for years, creating a conversational atmosphere that gets straight to the heart of the work. No one else in podcasting gets it quite right like he does, with a mixture of meticulous research, wise artistic insights, and well-humored personal connections. I proudly support Vish and Creative Control on Patreon. You should, too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Charlie Steen is a gifted singer, lyricist, and performer who hails from South London in the United Kingdom. Since 2014, Steen has been the primary vocalist in the explosive band Shame, which has released two acclaimed albums via Dead Oceans to date, with a third one on the way on February 24th, 2023. It's called Food for Worms and will prompt the band to go on a long, long worldwide tour beginning with Canadian dates in Alberta, including a stop at the Winterruption Festival in Edmonton on January 27th. Because of these developments, in an unusual and I believe unprecedented circumstance for creative control, I am finally presenting an interview I conducted with Charlie that actually took place some 20 months ago. Why such a delay? Well... In 2021, the pandemic was still something that made plans abnormal, and in my case, I was pitching or granting so many topical interview requests 
At various points, I'd have like three months worth of weekly interviews recorded in advance, and I was having trouble getting them out to you in a timely manner that also might help support people's album release and tour dates, which were still kind of dodgy back then. Everything was constantly being postponed or canceled. I guess that's still kind of happening, actually, because the pandemic continues, but I digress. Anyway, one of the casualties of this bizarre, too-many-interviews-not-enough-time situation for me was this great talk with Charlie, in which we discussed uh, the second Shame album, Drunk Tank Pink, whether the English really care that much about the monarchy and 2021 pandemic life in London, his strange living arrangements at the time and loneliness, binging shows like The Sopranos, The Wire, and in my case, Seinfeld, and the comfort that large ensemble shows can provide in times of isolation, future plans, which are now current plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control, which is the primary source of revenue for all of the work that I put into this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I appreciate it. And you can learn more about how to do that again at patreon.com slash creative control with additional support from Blackbird Music, a wonderful record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta and very friendly people who work there who will happily help you with whatever it is you need. Say you want to order uh, the older Shame albums or the new one. What if you want to order that one? Uh, You know, food for worms. You just go over there to blackbird.ca and that website and the people there will help you. So thanks again to Blackbird. Again, learn more about them at blackbird.ca and support your local independent record source. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 743 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely, talented, and very patient, I hope, Charlie Steen of Shame, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Sorry again for the delay here, Charlie. Hi, Charlie. How you doing? I'm very good, Vish. Thank you so much for having me on. It's uh, lovely to have you on. Uh, I can tell by your, your accent you don't live too close to me. Where in the world are you today? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sat in my living room in South London, in um, Peckham Rye, to be exact. Okay. That is, that, see, these are things I don't know. I've only been to London really once in my life when I was 12 on our en route to India. I shouldn't even say I've been to London. I've been to Heathrow. Uh, I guess. <laughs> so I don't I don't know it super well. How are things going in London uh, at the moment, would you say? Have you been outside? What, what's what's going on in the city? Oh, oh, by the way, oh, I guess I should say, if you will, condolences. I We've just heard the news as you and I are speaking. Uh, Prince Philip passed away uh, only hours ago. Uh, so how are you? I know people have uh, strange feelings about the monarchy. Uh, how are you feeling about that? It didn't really, do you know what I mean? It didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it, it, it hasn't changed my life around, you know. <laughs> um, it, it was, you know, there was sort of, a, I saw an Instagram post about it. I don't know. I mean, 99 years is a fucking long time to live. You're fine to swear on this show, right? Oh, yeah, you can swear all you like. Yeah. It's no, oh, yeah. 
um i mean yeah it, it doesn't it, it, it it's you know the, the I, I don't think the city's in mourning not where i am maybe in other parts of the city but you know it didn't, I, I went for a walk today it didn't seem like anyone you know there wasn't anyone wearing black or whatever <laughs> yeah yeah normal day as you as you travel the world as you used to anyway as a musician and whatnot did you get a sense of what others thought of the monarchy what they thought of england per se like did you ask people like what do you because we we end up you know when you're when those two what are their names i don't even know that megan and uh yeah What's the other guy's name? Harry. Harry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know much. I don't know much about it. I just it comes up in the news, and I'm like, okay, I guess I gotta pay attention to this. But do you, are you aware that people are really fascinated by these people outside of England? Yeah, I mean, America, you can't really beat America with that. I mean, so people, you know, some people think that we sort of, you know, have dinner with the Queen every night and you know walk around in top hats and stuff like that, <laughs> and still sweeping chimneys. But um, you know, I, it's. It's funny. I mean, it, I think it's something you're very much aware of. And I mean, I think one thing about British music or, you know, music from this sort of part of the world in general is quite politicised. Um, and so growing up, I mean, you know, with bands like Sex Pistols and stuff like that, you're very overtly aware of it. And people are sort of very open about the monarchy. And, um, you know, as you can see, it's sort of, uh, you know, all over the world, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's front page news. So, you're you're aware of the context of it, but it doesn't really make it, you know it doesn't really have an impact on your uh, your daily routine. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny talking to Americans in Australia. We met some people who who knew about it, but not really in other places. Maybe in like maybe when we've been to Tokyo and stuff. But yeah, yeah, I think probably for some of us uh, who were colonized by the English. There's a little fascination with our masters, you know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> I think as Canadians, mm. we we still have the queen on our money for crying out loud, and uh, so that's why I can understand. As Canadians, you know, we we still defer to the royal family. But you're saying mm. you're saying in town, this kind of stuff doesn't impact you on a regular basis. Um, well, I think it's something that you're that you're so aware of that from such an early age, like I was saying, that it's not. You know, I guess you don't think about it every day, but it is, yeah, like you're saying, when we've been to Canada and you've seen the Queen's face on banknotes and stuff like that, yeah. it does become a bit strange. <laughs> it, it, it's, 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 I mean, it's a weird thing in general. I, I, like I was saying about, you know, the overt politicism within music and art and, you know, everything else, you know, growing up, especially sort of like the bands and the artists that I've been interested in, you've always been aware of the criticisms and critiques, you know. Yeah. You're not taught about them in school, really, or anything like that. But they they inform your but, um, work. They yeah. inform your work as an artist. Like uh, for those who haven't heard Shame yet, uh, I mean, when I listen to Shame, I do hear aspects of that tradition you're describing, if you will. I mean, it's punk is usually not about tradition, no, nor is post punk. But <laughs> there, I hear like mm. you know, Gang of Four or Sex Pistols, maybe or what have you. Like I hear a little bit of that. Uh, in your work, do, do, the, do those bands their and their politics like? Did you feel compelled to get into art making from that point of view of like I'm going to say something <laughs> that speaks to like broader social concerns? Is that something that you feel goes on in the work of shame? Well, I think within naturally within sort of like you know the whether it's growing up in London or whether it's just the British culture in general is sort of to be quite outspoken to be, you know, you even have it within sort of 
you know, sort of newspapers like Punch and Private Eye that have come before to question things, I guess. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot more sort of, uh, of the necessity to be outspoken. I don't know, I guess it just comes, we just want to complain about everything. And I think <laughs> there are definitely times when it's, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, we, we run it, after, after we've spoken about the weather, you need something else to complain about. So, yes, you know, the, nat- sure. the next natural step is the monarchy. Um, <laughs> is it complaining or is it just thinking? It's just thinking, contemplating things, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's it's. I think it's 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 a bit of all of them. I don't know. I I think I think with our sense of humour as well, um, you know, it's quite. I'm, I'm trying to. It's it's very satirical, I guess. You know, and a lot of that comes from sort of looking at the the absurdity of a lot of the situations that revolve around politics or within the monarchy or within the you know the arts, the music, and you yeah. know stuff like that. And I think all of it, you know, we're a small island, you know, it's all quite reflective and sort of pointed towards something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that's fair. My understanding of your trajectory in shame is that you, your band would, used to, pre-pandemic, let's call it, tour a lot. <clears throat> would you call you, were you guys road dogs? Would you hit the road for a long spells? We definitely did, yeah. I mean, we, we you know, we started when we were... We were pretty young. I was 16, the rest of the guys were 17. But when we got to the stage touring when we were 18 or 19, pretty much from then it was sort of three straight years. I mean, the year before we released our first record, Songs of Praise, I think we did like 168 shows. And the year we released it, we did 172. Holy Lord, that's a lot. Yeah, it, yeah, it was a lot. We once did, what was it, one summer we once did 47 festivals. Really? In one summer? Okay, so that is... I don't know of anyone. I don't know of anyone who does that. That's incredible. Wow. I mean, where, it's pretty nuts. Where, whereabouts would you have played? I mean, with that many shows, I would think you would have covered a good part of the globe. But is there are there places that you that you haven't played? I guess maybe that's an easier way. With all those shows, is there anywhere you didn't go to in on the planet? Well, the thing is, is that most of those shows are within Europe. I mean, there's a lot of. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of ground to cover. This, you'd be surprised how many terrible festivals they can put up in, <laughs> you know, in Germany um, <laughs> and ask you to drive around it several times. Um, but, you know, it's it, it, it's only around the world we haven't been. Uh, we haven't been to New Zealand. We haven't been to several parts of Asia. Hmm. I haven't been to India. You know, there are lots of places that still like to play. I haven't been to the Caribbean. Conveniently for um, most I guess, like, guitar bands. It doesn't seem like, you know, none of the places you seem to play are ever actually that nice, you know? <laughs> it's not, a, you know, it's, it's not like you go to Barbados and play a show and you get to spend time on the beach, you know? Usually you'll just be sort of in Lithuania, which I still really enjoy, but, you know. It's, right, it's, just it's, some it's, just some other, just one cityscape after another, mostly, is what you I guess saying. it's a lot more, I guess it's a lot more urban, yeah. Yeah, urban, right, yeah. And I mean... I can see you uh, hesitating to criticize it because I assume you long to play such shows at this point. You, uh, how is you? I assume you've been kind of grounded since the pandemic started. Yes. Yeah, we've been. I've I've actually had quite a weird one. I spent um, so in the first pandemic, I lived in a trailer in a caravan for three months in the West Country in Somerset in England mm-hmm. with my girlfriend at the time and staying with her friends parents like they like on their field i guess 
And so I was doing like work with them, helping them out with gardening and construction. And then came back to London, got evicted from a nursing home that I was living in where I wrote a lot of the lyrics to our second record. A nursing home? You lived in a nursing home? Yeah. So uh, so my like one of my best mates, one of my oldest mates, Sean, the guitarist in the band, Shane, his cousin, a very close-knit family in South London. There's a lot of them, the Smiths. And, um, <laughs> and not the band, but, um, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so his cousin who I'd known since I was seven, uh, he's a few years older than us, was living in a nursing home and it's part of a scheme called guardianships, which is like, say, say like you wanted to buy a building, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you wanted to turn it into a block of flats and so say you wanted to buy a nursing home, for example, and you're going to turn it into a block of flats. Um, in between the time where you get the money to turn it into that, or you get the licensing or whatever you fucking need. You can get these people to live in there and you don't have to pay bills. But you're just like people who make sure people don't break in and you pay rent. And I lived there illegally. And we made the washing machine room my bedroom, which is where I wrote, and I painted it all pink, which is where we wrote the record and why it's called Drunk Tank Pink. Um, which is another story in itself. But um, <laughs> so I'm going on a bit of a long tangent. No, uh, no, it's answer. fine. Fine. It's not cool. That's because, anyway, um, that's because of... Uh, anyway, but um, so yeah, then yeah, I got back from Somerset. I got evicted, scrounging around to try and find a place to live for a month, which is pretty hard in COVID. Yeah. Uh, while we were getting, preparing to uh, like launch the album campaign. Then found a place, Went to, decided to go. We were going to go to Norway to write five days stay with the person who owned the Queen's Head, in, which used to be in Brixton, which is where we started the band. Went to the middle of nowhere in Norway, started to write the rest of the guys, flew back to London. I thought I'd stay for two days. They all turned out to have COVID. Um, all all your, <laughs> so, your band, your whole band? Uh, all the band, the person we were staying with, Tikna, the sound engineer, the sound engineer's friend who popped in today. I didn't have it. I was the only one. So I was then put in isolation in uh in norway for, and i was there for a month which was amazing and then i came back and had christmas day then what? we released the record in january holy okay that is that is really tumultuous uh first of all how did everyone fare with covid is everyone okay they all got it they all so it was um so on the josh was the one who we think was patient zero but the problem is like he was saying he was a bit ill but he's someone who he's not a hypochondriac but you know he's always ill right always, always. has a cold he, or something always always so yeah. it's not something that, you know he had like a headache when we were there and it was just with you know we were drinking a lot so it wasn't something you'd think about sure and also where we were in norway i mean there's six million people in that whole country there's about six million people within a mile radius of where i am in london right now so you know yeah yeah right <laughs> you, you know it's it's you just feel like we're in the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere so you just feel you don't we weren't going to the shops we were already isolated upon arrival so we just didn't think of possibility but they josh got it pretty bad charlie our drummer got it pretty bad eddie got it pretty bad everyone and tickner who i was staying with had he just said it was kind of like a like a light hangover for three days oh okay so they got it in a light manner and their bodies fought it off and they're okay yeah, I think they were right now. Charlie ended up, he got diabetes recently, our drummer, at the age of 24, which is pretty shit. 
oh, which no. they think might have been accelerated by COVID. They're not really sure, but um, Jesus, yeah, yeah, but he's he's de- he's a trooper. He's dealing with it well. Okay. Well, I'm glad you all. I mean, and you, how do you feel not getting it? Did you feel guilty? I'm the only one who didn't get it. No, I felt wicked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> felt fortunate. Um, Let's say, we, just for the sake of everyone else, you felt fortunate. I felt fortunate. Yeah, yeah. I felt fortunate. Oh, we've all had our um, vaccine now as well. Oh, we've got our first. We all got our first jab. Shout out to uh, the Croydon Islamic Center and Mosque. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, we got our first first jab. So, and most a lot of people I know in in London have have gotten their first, or if not their second. So. It's it's all things things are looking a bit going back to a question earlier about how sort of London at the moment. Yeah. Sort of, I mean everyone's just knackered of it, you know, and they're sort of just like, you know, but everyone's a bit everyone's sort of talking about getting the vaccine as if you're getting COVID. People got hit heavy. We got uh, I got AstraZeneca along with everyone else. Oh. Right. And, which is the questionable as we're speaking, yeah. it's the questionable vaccine. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think it's ridiculous about all of that. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. one in one in a bit. I don't know the statistics. I'm chatting shit, but you know, one in however many people get a blood clot. It's like you know, you're more likely to get a blood clot. From- well, it's hard to explain to someone that people 55 and under are more susceptible to the side effects, supposedly of that of that vaccine. So usually, you know, you're not supposed to do something once you are 50, 60 years old. So I've never heard of this. It seems to be. Anyway, let's not jinx you. I, I'm not going to assume you're going to be fine. Let's not, let's not get, it can hear us. So I don't want to get too far into, let's not get cocky or anything. It's just, uh, <laughs> that's true. That's yeah. true. That's true. It is yeah, what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So I, it is is. I was reading about the, uh, preparation that you undertook to make Drunk Tank Pink, which is a fantastic record. So great. Uh, and, and rip roaring. I kind of needed it. I've been listening to lots of quieter, synthesized music and it's been a while since i've uh had a real strong you know guitar rock post-punk if you will kind of record do you hate that term people keep throwing that term at shame do you hate any of the terms that people use to describe your band no they're a lot better than what we've been called before okay <laughs> <That's>, uh... <laughs> you know it doesn't it does bad stuff no it, it, it's no it's, i i really i don't mind but also thank you for saying that about the record mate oh it's so great like i say i've i've just had a been blasting it so loud in my office that my family is starting to wonder we often share i share my music with them because you know if i'm interviewing someone i need to get immersed in the in the song, mm. so they can be a litmus test. You know, it's playing in the kitchen, it's playing in the basement. They can be like, "Oh, I like this. I don't like this. Whatever." <laughs> so, yeah, I think they've just been walking by. Like, is Papa okay? What's going on in there? <laughs> it's so loud. And I'm like, "Yeah, I'll just close the door." Sorry, but anyway, it's really great. And um, my understanding is that uh, there was a sort of oddly enough, we've all undergone this period of stillness because of the pandemic. But you also kind of endured. A kind of stasis, I guess, once the touring for the last run of shows you guys did before uh, getting into this record writing process began. Is that right? You kind of were just on your own, isolated, trying to come up with songs. Is that correct? Kind of. I mean, the, the thing is, in comparison to how much we toured before, we kind of, you know, it was it was, it was was uh, very fortunate. We finally felt as if we were in the position where, you know, the kind of, catch 22 i guess is that you know you want to do all these shows and then but you also want 
you know, to not lose your mind, you know, which is a difficult tightrope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to sprint across. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, so we were kind of at this stage where we were still playing shows, but they were just less frequent. And we, you know, we did, uh, in the year we were writing the record, we did Coachella. We oh. did Fuji Rock in Japan. We did, you know, we did a few festivals and we went, you know, when we did Coachella, we got to go on two tours there, one on the West Coast, one on the South and the East Coast, which was amazing. Nice. So I think it, in that respect, I think, you know, we toured so much, we toured to such an extent of that record that, you know, there's only so many times you can play 10 songs, um, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> before, before uh, you know, people ask to see a new trick. So, um, I, in, I guess in a way, the form of isolation came from just adapting back. I mean, you know, I've said this time before, but kind of, you know, like we were like tourists in our adolescence. You know, we went from eighteen to twenty and twenty-one when we were just sort of like placed back and uh, and you know, and suddenly we weren't touring all the time. And you know, it's it's things like sort of you know, we we were forever in forever with company. You know, whether that was sharing a bed or in a dressing, you know, green room or, you know, in the back of a van, you're never sort of really on your own. You don't really have much time to think. So I think on the lyrical side, you know, throughout that period, I sort of had the natural things that I guess is common among most people of that age to go through, whether it's breakup, whether it's sort of breakups or, you know, falling in love and all that other stuff. But it was combined with this sort of absurd lifestyle of touring which in itself is a great form of escapism you know and a large you know force of delay and so when you sort of stop that and when you come back and when you're put into a static position all of these things sort of suddenly come back and you know a lot of the record like I kind of said about it to summarize it I guess is you know I don't think it's so sort of like also down and sad or whatever but it's just sort of like learning to enjoy your own company hmm yeah um, yeah Right. So in a sense, I, I gather what you're saying. It's more nuanced. You weren't just still. It just was a mm. little more still than than you had been. And so I appreciate that sort of clarification. But you endure that revelation, I guess, of like, I got to get used to just being on my own. Then the whole world has to do that. You know, you're kind of forced into it. It wasn't like just your work schedule changed for a bit. Everyone's schedule changed. How has this year and a bit now since we've all been I, you're saying london is on the come up a little bit feeling a bit better I, like uh, I, I it's it's london london's right i mean so you're whereabouts in canada are you my family and i now live in edmonton alberta we used to live i i'm from ontario we moved in uh, january of 2020 just before everything oh, wow. locked down we moved right across the country my wife's family is from here and we had job right. op, job opportunities so we I decided, yeah, let's make the move. I lived for 40-odd years in Ontario. Let's try something else. And, uh, yeah, then everything shut down. So, in a weird way, good timing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not yeah. missing anything from, uh, you know, that was a fear. Our kids would miss all their friends, and, and we would be missing out on events and gatherings. But none of that can happen. So, we're not missing anything. My kids are able to have, you know, online virtual conversations with their Ontario friends from here because everyone's kind of home and, you know, that's how it is here. So, yeah, I'm really locked down here. Not really. I go, I get groceries. I don't know the city I'm in. 
very well. <sighs> I couldn't tell you. I know a couple of the streets are all numbered. So it's not like Smith Street and Shame Street. It's just like... The streets have numbers. It's a grid. So I live on like, you know, we all live on... It's like 92nd Avenue, 83rd oh, okay. Street or whatever. Like, so it's... I'm not oriented and it's so disorienting. Anyway, it's a weird... It's weird. I'm just... I, I yeah. There's nothing for me to miss because I don't know anything. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer to your question. I live in Edmonton. No, 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 I live no. in, I live in Edmonton, Alberta. I like just explaining it cuz I'm totally unmoored, like I have nothing to cling to in a weird way. We bought a house, that's about it. And we no, have, no, 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 no. Yeah. I enjoy hearing about it. Yeah, okay. I, it's 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 uh, you know, I'm I'm picturing it in my mind. I mean, <laughs> you know, what 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 you're saying about that is it's it's interesting what you got onto as well about you know finding that silver lining of sort of you're not missing anything there i think yeah what i was what what i was initially going to ask about <laughs> going back to the britishness talking about the weather um but you know like here <laughs> here, here here like that that's a, that's a large difference you know when the sun you know springs now started and uh when the sun eventually starts to show it, it really the impact that it has on this city is sort of phenomenal in a lot of ways and I mean, what you were saying about sort of finding the silver linings, I think, and and sort of the general vibe of London. I mean, you know, I wouldn't like to brush over the devastations that have occurred during this period of time. Yes, sort of, yes. All the hard work that the NHS workers have been putting in, and everybody who's been, you know, all the key workers who have been doing so much and sort of haven't stopped throughout this period. And you know, there's been a lot of grief, and there's been a lot of grievances, and there's been a lot of tragedy, but. It is interesting when, you know, when talking to a lot of people from all ranges, from all aspects, you know, over the period of this entire time, it, you know, that is something that everybody is all, has either found or is searching for, that sort of, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. you know, and it comes back to this sort of idea of, you know, survival mode. You know, you can't, you know, there's only so much you can sort of, you know, shout at the telly, you know, before, <laughs> before, before you lose your voice. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, whenever the, whenever the news is on, um, you know, I, but I, I think, I think weirdly, I think, I think it's all been a period of waves, you know, I think, I think some more fortunate than the others. And this is probably talking more about my personal experience and experiences I know from my personal friends, but you know, throughout the period, some people have been up, some people have been down, and you know the weather and you know darkness and you know evictions and you know, <laughs> stuff it's like a, that. All, yeah, all it, does have an all does have an impact. But now that the sun's starting to shine a little bit, I hope. Sorry, what were you going to say? Well, no, I was just going to I was going to echo what you were saying. I, I think sometimes, depending on what, there's a few things going on that I think some of us don't take into consideration. You're talking about the elements, and one of the big things from moving from Ontario, which is as you know, four distinct seasons, and lots mm. of sun in the summer, hot, you know, pleasant spring. I moved to a place that is notoriously cold, one of the coldest places in the world, uh, Edmonton. So we moved from like, and basically two seasons, like basically you have winter and summer, like barely any fall, barely any spring. When we first got here, do you guys have Celsius? You use Celsius, don't you? Yeah, degrees. Yeah, so you use Celsius. So, like, for the first, there was two weeks when we first got here in January of 2020, 
when it was record breaking cold every day, minus 40. And so, Whoa. <laughs> oh my days. Right. So, my point is, and that happened again this winter, but I didn't really notice it because I didn't have to go anywhere except for mm. groceries. So, my point is, which I never really thought about the weather. When people would say, What's the weather like today in Ontario? I'd say, I don't know. I don't care. I'll figure it out mm. when I get outside. I mean, I, unless it was like we were planning a picnic. And if it said thunderstorms mm. are coming, we wouldn't do the picnic. But otherwise, I'm like, I don't know. I'll bring a jacket or I'll too hot i'll take it off whatever but here the elements are so harsh that you wouldn't go outside you were kind of i think a lot of people here are used to isolating for a lot longer because of the cold Mm. so i'll throw that out there and then the other thing i'll talk about very briefly i think is this pandemic hasn't impacted me on on an emotional level the way it has others because i'm with three other people all the time i'm with my Mm. family my wife and my two kids there are people struggling because they are single uh, or or they're reveling in it too. I know like everyone's has their own experience, but I starting to talk to more people are like, yeah, I don't see anyone. I stay in my apartment by myself. Uh, I write songs or I make things or I watch TV, but I can't because of this pandemic, I don't see anybody. So they have this eerie, creepy silence. Whereas, you know, my wife and I are like, Jesus, when are these kids going to stop talking? But <laughs> but really, like, it's your perspective. So I think you're, when you're talking about the state of London, you know, you're trying to look at it as dynamically as possible. It's looking better, but it's been a, a devastating year. And uh, yeah. that's what you're kind of getting at, I think. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, it's 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 just something where, you know, I don't, you know, I have been very fortunate in 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 a lot in a lot of regards to this and i don't want to sort of i guess it's that thing of not wanting to sort of uh to brush over or sort of to undermine i guess um and that's that's sort of i, I think that is what i'm trying to get at. i mean it's weird like what you're saying about being you know i've gone through at the beginning of this i was with with a yeah with a with my girlfriend and then we broke up in winter and so i've been single for the first time during this pandemic but it's interesting to see like you know, especially at this at, at, at twenty three, you know, in thing that happened in summer in London, like I was saying about the weather, is we got so many commons. It was kind of like we were teenagers again. You know, people were socially distancing, but everybody was just out drinking on the commons again, and so you could bump into people and see people. And, right. Um, and a lot of people were saying that you know the first one was really difficult on a lot of people. You know, they, a lot of people broke up during that. Um, or had to make tough decisions. I mean, the reason I went to Somerset was because my girlfriend was down there, mm-hmm. and I had I, I left on the first day of lockdown. Mm-hmm. I was I, I went I left from a station called Clapham Junction, which is like one of the busiest stations in London. You know, in average day, I can't imagine how many people go through there. There are eighteen platforms. I was the only one on eighteen platforms. Oh my gosh! Wow. Okay. So, so it was insane. But I had to make that. I was at six in the morning. You know, Boris Johnson made the announcement at like eight the night before, or something like that. And it was just one of those quick decisions where I was like, you know, celibacy, or should I just gamble and <laughs> get <laughs> you know, out? Yeah. Obviously, it doesn't just come down to that. I wanted to see them, but um, you know, like you know, but it is that thing, wasn't it? I remember calling them and being like, "Well, that's it. It's over." you know, in my sort of, like, downtrodden state of, of self-pity. Um, obviously, they were just like, get on a train quickly. Um, but, you know, go, being being single it is a different experience. I mean, yeah. I was 
I got a new flatmate, uh, and one of them left in when we were releasing the record, so around that time of January 15th. And they were away for a month, so I was in my flat for a month on my own, which at that time was really nice. But towards the end of it, I remember I was, um, I remember I, I, I'd never seen The Sopranos before. Oh, I watched all of. Them. Oh, oh my god, changed my life. Yeah, I loved I, it so much. That's weird. I rewatched it uh, at the beginning of the year too. Like uh, starting oh. in December, I, I, sorry, I've seen it several times, like the whole thing, but I. Just yeah. decide, it was on one of the streaming services, so I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to watch this, and then I got right into it, and they're terrible people, just awful people, but I yeah. can't stop watching what they do, and so that's, what did you make of, this was your first time watching it, and you, it says, you, you're saying it changed your life, that's quite a statement. I mean, TV really has that effect on me, I mean, I never, the first, the first, the first thing we went into lockdown, I watched all of The Wire, which had a similar effect on that's me. That's what I did, me. I did that too, <laughs> I, re, I re-watched... I rewatched The Wire in the spring, and then like last spring, and then yeah, then I rewatched The Sopranos. Just comfort, like weird. I wanted familiarity, but I also wanted it to be disturbing as fuck. Like it was weird. Yeah. I wanted it. I wanted the harshness of that reality because it's all very harsh, and yeah. a lot of anti. Like no one is noble. No one is really good. Everyone's got an angle. And so, yeah, anyway, I just, that's weird. And now I'm watching, just just to close the circle, Yeah, I'm rewatching, yeah. I'm rewatching Seinfeld right now. And so... Whoa, wow. <laughs> and I haven't so, seen that in long. Yeah, so I'm rewatching it and it's incredible. I have, I have to watch like four episodes at a time. I can't handle, it's, I'm at season three as we're speaking. It's really funny and really good and really well done. But also I, deplorable people, awful people, like yeah. just nothing but awful people all the time. And I can't yeah. stop watching them. It's weird. <laughs> I'm I'm doing I'm doing my name is Earl now. Oh, nice. How's that? Which is oh, I love it. So it was my childhood show and they've got it on Disney Plus. Um and oh, I just love it so much. It's oh. so good to go back to that. But um yeah, with the with the anyway, so going back to the yeah, I know, different slightly different vibe. But I mean, yeah, it's it's just such you know, it's it's such incredible writing and it's such incredible performances. But I remember I so I I was first time I was watching it, first time I watched the wire as well. And so I'd been in my flat on my own for a month and um and it was the last episode of Sopranos and I just got fucking wasted and after it finished I just sat on my sofa, just like so pissed, like blaring Frank Sinatra and like called all these people. And I was like, what am I doing? Do you know what I mean? Like, maybe I'm lonely. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe I, maybe I, maybe I need that. I was like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, so I think that sort of like human, you know, just sort of company, I guess. You just sort of need something to go through. But, you know, the problem is sort of how monotonous things can get. There's yeah. no sort of, I think that's the main thing that's sort of been lacking from social life or, you know, what really makes life worth living in my opinion is spontaneity. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's the people you bump into in the pub who you haven't seen in ages, but you know, you love them. And, uh, it's, it's sort of meeting someone or it's, you know, it's, I mean, how the fuck can you go on a date now? Do you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. You know, yeah. I, I do. I'm very thankful that I'm not in a new city completely by myself. Uh, I think I would, struggle with that. I never really thought of the idea of watching a show with an ensemble cast as being company. I never thought of it that way. But mm. to your point, but I would agree, like in the end, I do, when I would flip on a Sopranos episode, I think subconsciously I was thinking, I'm going to hang out with these guys for a while. 
it's, it's like it's like the only interactive TV show I've ever seen. Like when they eat, I want to eat. When they drink, I want to drink. Exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hopefully that's the extent of what you want to copy them doing because the rest of it, not great. Not great behavior. No. But uh, no, <laughs> no it, it is. That's a fascinating aspect of it. I mean, given what we were talking about in terms of the writing you did in the washing machine room uh, for Drunk Tank Pink and those mm. feelings of at least a little bit of isolation. Like, do you feel like the songs that we're hearing on Drunk Tank Pink are particularly relevant uh, to what people are going through right now? Like, are there, I'm sure you didn't intend for it. Like you, you made the record before this, happened right like for the most part you wrote yeah we yeah. did yeah we yeah. did we did all of it so do you feel like i don't want to use the word prescience necessarily but do you like is it a little creepy to you how any of the lyrical uh, themes sort of fit with what you're going through now uh speaking in like an honest way and i guess one of of uh the you know an honest in the sense of it might not make me sound like you know that much of a selfless person but um you know <laughs> it's it was i i took comfort in the fact that it wasn't just going to be another getting, you know, classic second album getting back from tour, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so that was why I took comfort from. But the reason, I mean, the reason it was called, I mean, with the themes of isolation and stuff like that, the reason it was called Drunk Tank Pink was because, so I, so that was why, as I said, like I painted the whole room with a shade of pink when I moved in and I had the ceiling, the, yeah. the, you know, the carpet. The walls, the lampshade, everything. I mean, it's, it was like a box as well. Um, you painted literally everything pink. Yeah, it's called lip gloss pink. The color. Oh, wow. um, Interesting. And 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 so after we we went through and we did and sort of in that room, you know, a lot of the record is sort of going to the subconscious as well. I was sort of it took me. I was having the first sort of like two months of me living there. I was having real difficulty sleeping. Um, Bad dreams, as know. I recall. You're having weird, intense dreams. Yeah, just vivid dreams, I guess it's to that point where, you know, the dreams to me, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't like to overanalyze everything, which would be completely hypocritical to my next statement. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's sort of the clearest way where you sort of have to confront your subconsciousness. And um, I think a lot of that, you know, at that point, we didn't have the distractions at all. So I could, there are sort of portable ones you can have such as, you know, or ones that you can build up, like going to the pub or bringing people back to yours, you know, just having constant company around you so that you're not having to spend this time with yourself. And hmm. I then found out it was actually just when we'd finished recording the record and we were going for our first meeting at uh, Rough Trade in West London, which is where, who we're managed by. And on the way there, my mum sent me this page. She'd been reading the Book of Colours. And there's a shade of pink called Baker Miller Pink, which was designed by surprise surprise um a guy called baker miller um <laughs> in in that uh, in the in the 1960s in america oh. uh because of the drug war that was going on they wanted a way there was such a raise in violence a rise in violence they wanted a way to suppress it and so the government called in all these like therapists and doctors and stuff like that and this guy came up with a theory that there is a certain shade of pink that suppresses anger and violence and so they started painting it into all these juvenile facilities the first one was in seattle oh and it you know in the first you know per year they had like 175 cases of violence and after a year of having the rooms painted that color they had four and then they put it into 
uh, like uh, classrooms and prison cells, and in the Midwest of America, drunk tank, which is where it was named Drunk Tank Pink. Huh. But it was just, you know, I got really, I, I, I really, I, I really obsess over the bedroom because it was sort of, you know, stuff like making your bed and you know, messy bed, messy head, all that kind of, yeah, uh, all, all that kind of stuff. You know, you never make your bed when you leave a hotel room, but you know, unless you're talking. Speak, you know, speak serious, for yourself. Serious. Speak for yeah. yourself. I, I like to. I like to. No, I don't always do it, but I try. I actually do try to do it a little really? bit. A little bit. Really? I feel well. My yeah, I didn't do it growing up, but since I met my wife, my now wife, I'm like right. I should make the bed. So now I just make our bed. Well, when you leave hotel hotel rooms, not as. I, I, if it's like a disaster, like Steph's everywhere, then I'll just, yeah, because I got to, yeah, okay, since we're talking about it, by the way, I haven't been yeah. in a hotel room in probably two years or something by this point, but what I do is usually I put the do not disturb thing on the door. I don't want them coming mm. in. If I'm staying for like a few days, I'll put mm. the do not disturb thing on the thing so they don't come in and whatever, clean anything. And then, yeah, mm. just because I'm used to doing it at home, I, mm. I, I make the bed. So when I go to bed, it's been made because that's what I'm used to at home. But I, I mm. does that make me a sociopath? Are you saying I'm crazy? I don't think. No, I, we, we, we've rarely stayed in places for more than one night. I think that makes a lot more sense if you're going to yes. stay in there. That definitely. I'm Maybe on the, my, on the morning I'm leaving, <clears throat> I leave it alone because I realize I also think they're just why are you making this bed on the last day? That's true. Actually, I will say that. I think I've consciously done that. I'm not going to make it the day I'm le- the morning I'm leaving. They're going to hopefully <laughs> strip the bed of everything anyway. There's no point in making it. Like if it's like 10 a.m. and checkouts at 11, I don't make the bed. But if I'm staying there for like, if I'm being, you know, if I'm at a festival for a week or a few days, then yes, I, I will treat my living quarters as nicely as I can because I have to live in them. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, not, no, I'm, not, I... I'm old now. I'm older than you. I'm 20 years older than you by the sounds of it. And I'm not into the debauchery. <laughs> And I and I, I like to be courteous to people. I think of I, I you know it's a long time, a lot of selfish behavior in my past, and so I'm trying to uh, repent. You know, I'm trying to uh, make up for it by trying to be as kindly as possible to anyone. Because I have to say this to my son all the time. Mm. He'll leave like a granola bar wrapper on the table. I say, "Who do you think is going to have to pick that up?" And he's like, yeah, yeah. "I don't know." I'm like, "Well, someone else." That little thing you're doing is altering someone's day. You know what I mean? But you should show them my name is Earl. Well, I should. Karma. Yeah, I should. I should probably do that. Anyway, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent about my hotel <laughs> no, 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 hotel no, etiquette. No, no. I'm just saying, yes, you're saying that you're, <laughs> you're I don't know. Why, why did we talk about this? Oh, yeah, cleaning the hotel rooms. What were you, what were so, you on about that? So, so I was just talking about, you know, for the first time in a long period, you know, sort of your bedroom, I guess. And, you know, there was a poem uh, by John Dunn that really sort of hit a chord and it's kind of, you know, it says like bed, the center of everything. Um, hmm. I think. And that really like struck a chord with me. You know, I think it's to me, it, it's sort of, you know, for, for the first time in a while, I guess it was, it was, it was mine. And I could put up what I wanted in the wall, you know, do, you know, and I was going to be going back there, you yeah. know, it was, a, it was a familiarity and it was sort of, you know, I spend a lot of time in, in the bedroom and, you know, like just reading and sleeping, you know, everybody else does in the bedroom. But it, it, it can sort of be sort of, it's, it's interesting, I guess, also because for a lot of the initial stages of writing this record, it was sort of, uh, 
I guess, an enemy, you know, because it was an association with having to try to go to sleep and having these dreams or whatever. And so it's something that you want to try to put off to deter from having to go to. Um, right. And so coming to comfort with that. And, I mean, I don't even know where I was going either, but I think, you know, it's just sort of what we're doing about with that isolation and the themes and everything. Well, it's, it's, but, but it's, it's, yeah. I, I, yeah, sorry. No, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. No, I was just going to say, invoking the bedroom in this context is fascinating too, because the bedroom as a space was on your mind. And for a lot of people, the bedroom is also a space of privacy, of security. Mm. Like you feel safest mm. maybe in your bedroom. That's where you've, you've taught yourself that it's the room that you can be, you can relax, you know, and not mm. put on airs, not think of others. It's like mm. a place of a truth. I will say reality. Mm. Like you're not, you're just you in your bedroom or you and your partner in your bedroom, but that's when you kind of, drop all facades for the day. And if, if mm. I'm right about that, does that mm. inform the songwriting? Like you're in your bedroom. That Definitely. that atmosphere might might reveal more about you in your songs than you mm. maybe even realize. Does that make sense? No, that's 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 fucking uh that's angelic. Um <laughs> it, that's that's really that's that that really hits a hits a, a chord, I guess. Um Yeah. No, no, definitely. I mean, I think with this record as well, it was, it was a, uh, it was the first time it was sort of internal. I mean, I've said this before, but you know, we started, and I was like, you know, I was sixteen when we first started because I'm a July baby. And we started in June, and I was just, like, I don't want to fucking write about love. Like everybody writes about fucking love and heartbreaks. You know what I mean? Like everybody writes about that, and then when you go through it, you're just like, ah, oh, that's why everybody's been writing about this fucking thing for like. 7,000 years or something like you know what I mean like since cavemen can draw on walls we, uh, about it. it is a particular <laughs> feeling that you need to grapple with and exercise from your body and for some of us yeah it's cliche but yeah that's why people do it it is definitely I mean I guess as well the, the whole thing of, um, of of doing this in the first place you know I think I think one of the things through lockdown as well is it sort of really you know it puts your priorities into perspective and it definitely gives you a whole new um, perspective, I guess, on everything else. And But you really see, like, for me, I guess, you know, I haven't stopped writing lyrics. I haven't stopped, you know, doing other things like painting and stuff like that. And you sort of see that when things are stripped from you, like the possibility of touring or the possibility of recording, the reason you still pursue them is the reason you began them in the first place, if that makes sense. Yeah, because they're, yeah. They are they are cathartic and they are necessary to to your life definitely to my life and so it, you know me sort of writing this stuff I mean was my sort of own process of understanding um, and not all of the record is about that but I think you know the first I mean you know when thinking about it in sort of relations to to age and stuff I mean when we did songs praise our first record as well like some of those songs were written when I was doing my A-levels, which is your last year when you're 18, 17, at oh, school. Oh, I see. Right, right. And I did English literature. And um, and so kind of naturally I was drawn towards characters because I was always having to analyze them, mm-hmm. you know, with Chaucer and Virginia Woolf and Yates and uh, Sylvia Plath and, and all those others. And sort of then now, I guess, I mean, like it's, it's interesting. A lot of people I've spoken to as well who are in bands in the UK and Ireland who a similar amount to us is that this sort of like the common I guess misconception I think it depends on your personality and what you do in a band as well but that you're going to become a lot more extroverted through touring yeah 
But I think the introversy becomes such a necessity. You know, well, like I said earlier, you're never without company when you're on the road. And so, and when you're, you know, when you deal with certain things, whether that be sort of exhaustion or, you know, falling for someone or doing something like that, it's, they're kind of things when you think about them in your life, you experience on your own, you know, you think about walking to the shop and realizing that you do like that person or you think about walking back from the shop and thinking about that person doesn't, you know, love yeah. you anymore. But, <laughs> right. you know, and so, yeah. but then, yeah. but, but when you're, when you're having to think about all of this in a transit van with six other people, you know, it becomes a lot more isolated in the experience. You know, you, you, you really hold on to the value of that. And so I think, yeah, again, this is a long tangent of self-indulgent. But, um, no, no, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I'm, I am. Um, I, I think it's worth exploring it because, I mean, like I said earlier, and like you've been saying, like there's something about writing from a space of security for yourself, uh, whether you knew it or not. But mm. as much as you sounded like you were haunted in the in the in the bedroom by dreams, mm. by the pinkness, maybe uh, of your own mm. accord. I mean. There's something really real about you in these songs as a result of this whole exercise, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think also it was a challenge that I really wanted to do. I mean, you know, it's well, like, when we when we started, the, most most of the band didn't know my lyrics to the first record until we recorded the album, mm-hmm. because you're playing, you know, tiny pubs and you know small stages and stuff like that and the PA system doesn't work and you know they're not paying attention and when you're in a practice space you know we didn't have big practice spaces which pump loads of money into yeah sort of like cheap or whatever we could get right and this time the way that we were writing it was a lot of it was written in Josh's bedroom as well another bedroom and I was sort of having to you know these were the first time kind of personal lyrics and the you know my bandmates are i've known this since i was a kid uh you know a lot of them so everybody's aware of the entire context of your whole life so to sort of record in vocals after everything else has been recorded in and everybody can hear exactly what you're saying every word was sort of a completely new challenge a completely new fear right and i think what i think with the band, i'm not really a musician you know I, i'm not like I, I i can't have so much admiration and so much respect for anyone who can you know what what i sort of design what i love is performance and so very much like when we write anything i would sort of think about what it's going to be like to perform it i think this has slipped less and less through the course of the pandemic because that's you know isn't in the back of your mind as much anymore but the main sort of i guess sort of the concrete platform that is necessary in order to do that is honesty and truth yeah. you know I, I you know i'm not a good enough actor yet um <laughs> to, to say something that i don't really mean you know i'm, I'm not quite a boy band member um yeah, there's so, an o- there's definitely an authenticity that comes through, I think, and that's good. I don't think that's a bad thing. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, I just I just think in order to perform, it's it's very weird. It's like performance as well as like with with anything is uh, there's something that becomes so appealing. I don't know if you could refer it to like a one night stand because I don't want to sound sort of uh, yeah, uh, like you know I wouldn't want to sound as if I was you know uh, 
something disposable because obviously that doesn't have to be disposable right. be treated, treated right. in that manner but in the way of that you can share something quite intimate with a stranger for an hour or with a group of strangers and people that you might never see again but you're saying something that kind of means a lot to you and you've then got to you know convince them sort of of what you're saying and of what you're doing and yes granted like without the band and without maybe visceral energy and stuff like that it wouldn't come across as so uh, you know that that helps it a lot but you need to 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 kind of believe what you're saying i guess because otherwise you you know otherwise everybody's you don't want a show to feel jaded you want it to feel real i guess yeah yeah i mean that's i i have been in bands for a good chunk of my life and there is something it's really hard to explain to some people what it means to go from the practice space to communicating your idea before uh, an assembly of strangers. Like that's a really, cause you're basically starting every time you start a song, you're kind of starting a conversation with someone you don't know and, and they're receiving it uh, in, a, in their own way. And at the end of your performance, you might, they might feel compelled to come up to you and say that really meant something or that was interesting or mm. Or that was great, or whatever it is. They just feel compelled to be like, "I need to speak to you now that you've been hollering at me for forty-five minutes. I, I mm. it's time for me to get a word in." <laughs> but I mean, that's why we go and play. I'm sure that's why part of why you probably love playing live and touring so much. You're looking to connect and commu- You're look. You're communicating, but you're also hoping to see if it's connecting with people. And I mm. may, I maybe I'm reading too much into that, but is that maybe a part of where you're coming from? Definitely. I mean, as well, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's, I think like a large part of, 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 uh, of performance as well is this sort of, which goes back to what I was saying about the lyrics and stuff like that is that, you know, and I was talking about this with a friend the other day that, you know, I think there's a very sort of fine line between, between sort of like self-belief and uh, what can come across as sort of vanity. Yeah. But it's the sort of idea of, you know, most people who, you'll speak to who will be, you know, I'm speaking about it just from like a sort of singer's perspective or, you know, front person's perspective because you're sort of just alone with a microphone. But I think sort of like the level of scrutiny that you're aware that you're going to go under, particularly when you're starting out or even still is this sort of desire to, to prove yourself, Yeah. you know, once again. And Hannah, who runs our label, record label in London, said this amazing fucking thing when we when we signed to them that nobody's going to care more about your band than you do yes which is such a good i think at that time you know like 18 or 19 or whatever i was but you know cocky i was like well you know sure we'll have a band but um (laughs) you know i didn't i didn't didn't really get it but now you know that's sort of such a great i think that's such a great attitude you know because so much of i thought the way that we started out which is such a which is one of like the largest tragedy throughout all of this period is you know we're so fortunate to start when we did and for any new bands who are starting out now not being able to play at those independent venues or with the threat of a lot of those independent venues closing is that the amount of times you play to an indifferent crowd and you know the last thing you want in the world is indifferent or people who just don't like it or you know you're you know like we've done shows where it's just like Eddie's dad and a couple getting off in the corner. That was it. <laughs> but you need yeah. that. It it toughens you up. It actually makes Definitely. 
it, it just it gives you resolve to keep going no matter what. Uh, Definitely. I mean, well, yeah. the whole sort of point point of this. But sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, no, I I interrupted with my no, no, my no, observation. No, no. But I, yeah, no, I, I go ahead. Yeah, I think what it's just about. You know, I think that's sort of a lot about, in my perspective, what this band is and what it's um, a, a vehicle and be be able to do is to sort of you know tackle your own insecurities i mean you know i've said this before as well but you know like the reason that I, like, I take my show off when we play is because i was always really insecure about my weight yeah and it was sort of like this first sort of platform where you know just for half an hour or for 45 minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes you're not focused on what anyone is thinking about you you're so you have a, a sort of rush of a self-belief i guess yeah and i think that's what's so addictive about it you know, it's it's sort of you know I sort of used to refer to it as sort of like, you know, I, like I think that's because of how many shows we've been able to see. I think after a while, I'm sure you've been in some position, where you're like you know, it becomes a point where you become sort of like not immune to them. That sounds weird, but I guess sometimes maybe indifferent in yourself, and that's when that gig that you do see that really does blow your mind makes it so much more impactful. Yeah, you know. Yeah. It's something you can't ever put your finger on. It isn't. I, I agree. And and it's it's also there's some truth in you had to be there to understand the feeling mm. in the room and whether it's a good feeling or a bad feeling, it's hard to describe to someone what a show mm. is like. So I have had those experiences as well, both on stage and off stage, just like of seeing my favorite band have an off night, you know, or something. Mm. Like it's it's all very informative and, and human mm. and humanizing. And I think you're right. And I mean, I've talked about this on the show with others before. I, uh, I miss opening bands. You know, I, mm. I've been relatively okay not seeing shows. Like I used to go to so many shows a week, like just so many shows. When I lived in Ontario, they would happen where I lived in Guelph, but I would also drive an hour to Toronto uh, mm. on, on a weeknight some nights, even though I had work in the, I just, I loved shows. But what's mm. and I'm okay without them on the one hand, but I am my discovery often happened with opening bands, you know, people I have on the show sometimes mm. I, I first encountered when they were opening for someone bigger, and now they mm. are at a level that's yeah the whole th- anyway I don't want to get too depressing here. It is a hard time to be on some level. You can get your music out there on the internet, of course yourself, but mm. that notion of playing live and finding people mm. that way. For both listeners and for musicians, I think that's really hard, and uh, mm. and it it is going to make me feel a little out of touch with stuff, because <laughs> mm. uh, the opening band thing is also like, oh, this new thing I'd never heard about is blowing my mm. mind. Whether it's a young artist or an older artist, like it's not that they're on the come up. I just didn't know who they were. Now I'm mm. going to dig in mm. and find out more about them. So I don't have that same impulse, or I, I'm not being presented with that stuff. So I don't have. The digging I'm doing for music now is kind of someone mentions it on social media or my friend tells me about it via text. So mm. I, I look it up and I listen to it and I check it out. But mm. anyway, I'm sure you've gone through that too, being an opening band, being a headlining band. There's a lot of excitement in the discovery of of music Always. making. Yeah. Always. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's every element, isn't it? You know, like, I don't, I, if you want to move on, we can move on as well. No, but, no, no. Go know. ahead. Go ahead. I, I think like the last, well, thank you, like uh, the last gig I saw before lockdown, before COVID happened was uh, the last non-socialist gig we played. 
we were in um, fucking the Hague in the Netherlands. Oh. Um, and we were doing this festival, Grauzone Festival, which was an amazing festival. We got to play with like Damo Suzuki. Oh, um, nice. From Cannes, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was amazing. Um, mm. But we saw, we bumped into Brady, who is an artist called Pan for Modern. Oh, yeah. Who we knew him from. Yeah, yeah. Do you know them? I'm aware of them. I've never encountered uh, Brady. Uh, I'm aware of that uh, that act, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my. So it was like, so we were... We were we were like he was he was there playing with another band. But he was doing a solo thing, modern, um, and he'd been in a band that had supported us in our first ever show in LA, who were amazing. And uh, and he was like, "Yeah, I got this show on at like one in the morning," and we played at like eight or nine or something like that. Yeah. And I wasn't drinking that night, and I was just like, "I was just like, I'm not going to drink at all." So I was kind of like hanging around, you know, till one, which is quite a long time. And not drink, um, <laughs> not to wait around. But um, <laughs> and and so I was like, you know, just want to experience, you know, experience. And I really didn't know what it was. I hadn't heard, I hadn't heard his music before. And we turned up, and it's at this sort of, you know, it kind of felt like we were in Berlin or something like that. It's just like a door, and there are loads of people smoking outside. Mm-hmm. And you sort of like this door opens, and just like all of this smoke comes out, like billows out of it. We go into this like hot sweaty basement like down all of these stairs and everything is just covered in smoke you know you can't really see your hand in front of you and it's just him playing on stage and like it was just to be there with sober you know in a sober experience and not that you need to be inebriated to sort of be taken aback but it just sort of it made me feel so much more grateful i guess yeah Um, yeah and and just sort of it really did sort of it was just one of those it's like like when you read a book and you before reading the you know and you don't read the blurb or when you watch a film without watching the trailer you know and um and you're just so it's sort of in awe of uh the surprise and yeah. you know it's just sort of like it's every detail isn't it when when something like that happens absolutely the, yeah the door opening and the smoke coming out the walking down the stairs the the sweat in the air the bump, <laughs> you know walking past people you know it's it's every element yeah, creates sense. creates a creates a sense memory almost. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. I've had that. I don't. I like not reading the blurbs to books. I like not seeing the trailer for movies. Uh, sometimes yeah. you know, I like just. Yeah, I'm with you on that, and it does create. It's part of the thing. Is the first uh, impression is the surprise element uh, <laughs> of, of a song or a, or a band. Yeah, yeah. It's all lamentable, but I hope to your earlier point about London being. You know, vaccinations are happening. Uh, they're slow to happen where I'm calling you from, but I hope they will. And I hope there will be some sense of normalcy and, and perhaps shame. We'll play Edmonton. <laughs> have you done? I would love that. Have you played much of Canada? We've done Montreal, uh, Toronto, uh, Quebec City. And I believe that's it. But we really love Canada. Uh, Josh, our bassist, is uh, half Canadian. Oh, his cool. Dad's from, yeah, his dad's from Toronto. Montreal in particular, we all love. Oh, it's um, great. Montreal is fantastic. Yeah. Is Ontario French speaking or? Uh, well, the entire country is bilingual. It's technically bilingual, but Ontario is more bilingual than because we're right beside Quebec. It's primarily English speaking. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Wicked. Yeah. 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 So we're right beside Quebec. So there is a lot of. Uh, my, my kids are in French immersion school. So they're learning French here even. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. So it is the. 
official language, if you will. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I just think I was just saying that from, you know, Toronto, almost in some parts where you walk through fields like you're in America again. But, oh, uh, totally. Montreal. Well, yeah, Montreal has that, but, and, and Quebec City has that real difference. Yeah, the, the architecture in Quebec and Montreal has been maintained uh, from its yeah. oldest points where in Toronto it gets refurbished or torn down. Uh, yeah. Lots of um, lots of real estate plundering happening there, development, those sorts of things. Like people are just ripping down 200-year-old buildings to put up a condo or something. Um, mm. So it's a bit of a drag. And I, met, I never lived in Toronto. I always visited. And sometimes I regretted it and other times I really didn't. I like living just outside of it so you could come and go as you wanted. Like... You know, get the good food, see the good show, but then you get mm. to go home to like a smaller town and not deal with mm. all the humanity <laughs> and yeah. ca- chaos. So, yeah. Uh, you I, know, there's that expression in Canada, drive six hours for a six pack of beer. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's true. It's a lot of driving, too. It's not fun to tour Canada because there's not a lot of stops. You got to drive for like 10 hours before you hit a city. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a bit of a complicated place, but I do hope you're able to come. Uh, to Alberta, or I'm able to travel to wherever you are because I'd love to see the band. I've never seen Shame. Speaking of missing out on things, but I, I love this record. Uh, do you have a sense? I guess you probably don't at this point. But what's sort of next? I feel like earlier you said you had been writing in this last little while. Is that right? Yeah. So we've just filmed a tiny desk. Um, so that will come out whenever it comes out. So that was we did it with like a three songs off the record a new record um yep. trumpet trumpet saxophone two violins and percussion oh so, wow that's cool yeah <laughs> which was amazing to spend time on um and now we're doing writing as well and i just did a song with an artist called Lynx, who's amazing called mm-hmm. this is the hit um which came out today oh congratulations Thank you very much. Um, and <laughs> plug. And, um, <laughs> and, um, and uh, yeah, we're just going to continue writing. I mean, I think we kind of, we we, we want to get back to it as soon as possible. You know, we, we took quite a while between our, our last record and to some degree, I hope that that doesn't happen again, but at the same degree, you don't want to rush anything. Um, yeah. And it was all circumstantial as well. So, yeah, I think that's what we're going to do. We'd love to have you at any of our shows anytime. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I hope I can make it uh, for sure. I, I And I hope it, it happens that you, I hope it occurs that you can visit North America at least uh, as soon as possible, obviously. Um, if people want to learn more about shame and drunk tank pink, like where would you want to kind of send them on the internet right now? Uh, I don't know. To, to, to Instagram, I guess, or to Spotify for the album or to their local independent record shop they can purchase it there yeah um, <laughs> okay <laughs> you know I don't I, I don't I don't it's, it's a good question um I don't know I, I think it, it, do you, like, you know, do you operate any of your band's sort of social media stuff yeah I do Instagram and um and Facebook but I'm not very I don't have Twitter you know I'm not sort of as I said to you, I'm a bit of a luddite. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, it's good. You're not missing much. I just wonder. We're if... not. Yeah, we're not yet TikTok famous or anything. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, very few of us are, and uh, maybe yeah. maybe for good reason. Well, no, that's fine. We'll find people again. The album is called Drunk Tank Pink. The band is Shame. Um, Charlie, if we can go out on a song from the album, can you select one for me to play, and and also can you explain why you chose it? Uh, maybe Snow Day, which is 
fifth song on the record, I think. Um, By my count, it is the sixth song uh, and potentially the second longest song on the record. Yeah, Clocking clocking in digitally anyway at five minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just being being factually correct there, why did you choose Snow Day? To leave them laughing. Um, No, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Um, I, I don't know. I think we that was one of the ones we did for Tiny Desk, and it was the first one we started out with. And um, you know, talking about isolation and stuff like that, but also with optimism. I think this is one of the themes we wrote it. Well, we wrote a few of the songs for this record in, in the Highlands in Scotland, oh. um, which was again at Blackfire Studios, which was again a very isolated but incredibly beautiful place to be. And yeah, I just think it's one we're all very proud of. That's fair enough. Is there anything about just given some of the lyrical things we discussed uh, in terms of your intense dreams and the and the pink room you were in? Does Snow Day speak to anything in particular? This is probably the pivotal moment of that of those themes. I would say, yeah. I mean, it, it was like where we were staying. Um, uh, we were halfway up a mountain, and I used to just go and walk up that mountain. We used to walk up there every day. And it's kind of begins with that and sort of, you know, heartbreak and everything falling for you. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's it. But it's got a happy ending, I guess, I think. Okay. All right. All right. And well, I was happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. We'll play it for people now. This is Snow Day by Shame from their excellent record, Drunk Tank Pink. Charlie, this was really a pleasure for me. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope we speak again soon. Uh, best of luck. With, best of luck with everything in the future. Mate, I loved it. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this.
you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, as I said at the top there, I was feeling a little self-conscious about this uh, episode. I feel badly that it didn't come out uh, around when it was actually recorded. Uh, again, apologies to Charlie and the shame people and all the publicists and everybody involved. Uh, but I told the publicist at the time, I don't know when this will come out. Like, I'll do it. And then it didn't come out. Because I, like as you guys, as the people who follow the show know, I like to peg things to topical things. And I couldn't find anything. And then it just, uh, now there's stuff. I'm happy, though. I'm, I'm so happy that this has occurred. That I found a reason to put this out. And you still, you know, we're not talking about the new record. Maybe, maybe, maybe Charlie will be on again for the new record. I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet. But this is, a, you'd get to know Charlie a little bit. And they've got stuff coming up. So uh, this is me talking myself into looking at the bright side of things. Thank you, Charlie, for appearing on this, the, well, now it's the 743rd episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it, and you're wondering if I actually put it out because we recorded it so long ago, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on uh, Facebook, which used to be the most evil social media platform, but currently I think is in fifth place. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter. That's the evil one. At Vish Creative. Uh, or you can follow me directly on uh, Twitter and on Instagram. Third? Third evil? At Vishkana. Please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. Six dollars USD or more grants you access to exclusive content. Episodes come out earlier to those folks. Uh, and if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt at that tier, uh, you can just message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. I still have some of them. Uh, so yeah, thanks for supporting the show. That's the primary source of revenue. It's the least icky for me because it's you saying you want to support the show. And uh, it's flexible. You can change whatever amount you start with. Go up, you can go down. It's great. So thank you for that support. Patreon.com slash creative control. Thanks again to the wonderful Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca. Also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, the bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario for their in-kind support for this show. And a gentle reminder from me to support local independent businesses uh, however and whenever you can it really makes a huge difference thanks also uh, to my friend who is himself an independent business jim guthrie you can learn more about jim at jimguthrie.org jim uh, provides music uh, to me for this show uh, with a handshake and a smile so jim's uh, the best jimguthrie.org again to learn more about him and finally thank you so much for listening to this episode with Charlie from Shame and for following this podcast or subscribing to it and telling your friends about it and spreading the word about it that way. Check out the music of Shame. It's wonderful. Charlie, as you can tell, is a wonderful and uh, funny and thoughtful fellow. So it was nice to connect with him. Again, all apologies. This is my last time. Again, all apologies to the Shame people. 
and uh, also to the publicist involved uh, in the delay, but I hope this was worth it. And that's it. I'm going to stop apologizing. I'm going to go live my life. I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.